fitness. It was an LA fitness um, club. And some guy comes up to me and is like, yo, you should play like wheelchair football. Do you play any like adaptive sports? And I'm like, no, I never even heard of wheelchair football. So he's like, come out. So when I came out, I met the president of the Wheelchair Sports Federation, John Hammer, and he works with the Wounded Warriors also. And he's like, I could tell you could be a Paralympic athlete one day. Why are you not playing any sports, dude? I'm like, I don't know. And then he's like, I'm going to put you on the best wheelchair track team in the country. Welcome to the Bar Band Podcast, where we talk to the smartest athletes, coaches, and minds from around the world of strength. I'm your host, David Thomas Tao, and this podcast is presented by Barband.com. Today, I'm talking to para powerlifter and motivational speaker, Garrison Red. As a high school football player, Garrison had aspirations of going pro, but when he lost the use of his legs after being shot by a stray bullet in his neighborhood at age 17, his life took a very different course. The 31-year-old Brooklyn native is one of the country's strongest para power lifters in the under 56 kilogram bodyweight category. We got the chance to talk with Garrison about his origins in the sport, his weekly training routine, his diet, weight cuts, competitive aspirations, and future goals in and outside of strength sports. Also, I want to take a second to say we're incredibly thankful that you listen to this podcast. So if you haven't already, be sure to leave a rating and review of the Barbed Podcast in your app of choice. I'd also recommend subscribing to the Barben newsletter to stay up to date on all things strength. Just go to barben.com newsletter to start becoming the smartest person in your gym today. Now let's get to it. Garrison, thanks so much for joining us today. I got to ask, you know, we're, uh, you're, you're in New York, as am I right now. And uh, I got to ask, how has uh, training been during the quarantine period? I'm asking a lot of people that these days. Well, actually, um, to your surprise, I have gotten a lot stronger during quarantine. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not super surprised because you're, <laughs> you're, I mean, athletes find a way, right? Yeah. So um, it's funny because my father always told me never to throw away books and weights. So I had a weight set from back when I was in high school that was in the basement, just collecting dust. And once quarantine happened, he brought it up for me. I had about 400 pounds worth of plates. So, and dumbbell handles, I had curl bar, military press bar. So I had a ton of equipment that, you know, was collecting dust, collecting rust, and I just brought it out and I've been doing pretty fun. Actually, I'm getting more sleep, which is aiding me with my recovery. Um, I'm eating better. I'm able to stay on top of my foods and what I'm intaking and things of that nature. So it was pretty good. I got gained a little bit of weight, but I'm going to go do a cut now. <laughs> it's, al- it's almost like a forced training camp in your own home. Yeah, it is. It really is. Um, you got to really be disciplined. Um, and if you're disciplined, it could work out in your benefit. So that's one of the things that I really, really focused on it was staying disciplined, staying consistent. And I followed my training routine, my training program each and every day. And I'm doing pretty well, actually. So now I just got to work on the nutrition side of things. I spoke to my nutritionist because on Team USA, we have a nutritionist that we got to check in with at least once a month. But in my case, since I gained weight, I got to check in like a little more frequently. So like once a week. (laughs) But it's cool. How much above weight are you like when you say a, a cut to get back down to your weight class? Like how much above did you gain during quarantine? A lot of people, a lot of people have gained weight during quarantine, so it's okay. No judgment. No, nah, typically I'm in the 130 pound weight class in para powerlifting. Um, right now I'm like at an 
that's like 59 kgs. Right now I'm at like 142 pounds. So I'm a little above weight, but it's I know where it came from. So I just got to focus <laughs> on my diet. You know, I'm eating red meat. Powerlifters love red meat. So I was eating tons of steaks like every day, just about. There, there's a great, I've heard, I forgot who, who it's attributed to. And I feel really bad that I forgot, but someone once told me, uh, a powerlifter once, once quoted someone and said, look, you don't need to supplement creatine because if you're serious about strength, you're eating so much beef. Seriously. <laughs> like my, um, my coach I actually trained at Gaglion Strength with, um, he's a top strength coach, a yeah. top powerlifting coach, um, John Gaglion. He's, he's and, great. Yeah. Big yeah, fan. yeah. He's also, he trains Larry Wills also, um, a whole lot of other athletes. And, um, yeah, he tells me, you know, eat red meat. So I was just eating red meat. I was eating beef for lunch, like ground beef for lunch. I'll have a steak for dinner. And I was doing that five days a week, which it got a little out of hand. But now I'm cutting back. Maybe like once a week, I'll do a steak and then fish. And I've been eating a lot of fish and almonds. I'm actually living off of almonds a lot. <laughs> <laughs> almonds are dangerous. Almonds are dangerous. Any nuts when I eat them, like I'm, I, you know, a handful for me that I think of as like a handful is very different than the actual nutritional guidelines and the serving <laughs> size for a handful. I'm not able to actually follow it. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of difficult. And then, you know, with the nutritional guidelines, there's always in ounces or grams or whatever. And you're like, how much is an ounce of nuts? I don't know. <laughs> I'm kind of, I'm kind of eyeballing it. Like, that looks like an ounce. And it's like, yeah. no, that's like six ounces. Come on, you Seriously. idiot. So yeah. But, um, you know, I'm focused. I've been doing the fish thing a lot. Um, on my heavy training days, I'll have some carbs um, as far as like, usually like white rice. I try to follow like a vertical diet mm. for the most part, but I'll have like white rice after one, like pre and post training, mm -hmm. which has been working well. And hopefully, you know, the way is going to definitely go back down. Now that I think about it, Stan Efferding, who developed the vertical diet, he's probably the one who said that about if you're eating enough beef, you don't need supplemental creatine. That sounds like <laughs> something he would say. Seriously, seriously, because that's a big part of the vertical diet, red meat. So it is what it is, but it helps with the strength. It definitely helps. <laughs> are, is there any, are there any um, pieces of equipment or <clears throat> any, any parts of your, of your training that you're not able to really replicate at home uh, with the weights you have during quarantine? Yeah, um, that's one of the things that I've been, you know, exploring. Like, I don't have chains because um, mm. we follow like a West Side barbell type of training program with a lot of accommodating, accommodating resistance. So I don't have any bands or I don't have any chains, which I typically use a few times out of the week to help with my speed, velocity and things of that nature. Also, I don't have like the T-bar, the football bar. Mm. You know, everybody got a different name for it, but... <laughs> Duffalo bar. I don't have the Duffalo bar and things of that nature. I just have a flat bench. Um, but I've been making it, I've been making it work. I've been trying to do different variations mm -hmm. of exercises. So like I'll do like some floor dumbbell presses instead of um, typical barbell floor, floor um, presses. Also, I'll do different forms of benching. So I'll do one day, I'll do a regular bench day, which is pretty heavy. Then some days I'll do spoto presses. And then another day I might do three count spoto bench presses. So you know, I make it work. I was going to ask about tempo training. That's something that I think a lot of people have been doing, even if they only have, they don't have, maybe they don't have weights at home. Cause like good luck ordering kettlebells and dumbbells online right now. Seriously. People have been doing a lot of tempo training, time under tension with body weight stuff and weights. So I was going to ask about tempo training, but it sounds like that's, sounds like that's probably if you're doing a West side kind of thing, already a part of your training. Yeah. 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 So like, um, I'm programmed for a heavy day, a light day and a speed day. So the speed day is when I typically do the tempo stuff. Um, which it really helps. I mean, I, I, right before quarantine, I was training for world championships. 
So I probably was at my peak already. And then when quarantine happened, you know, it is what it is. So like, I'm kind of on a deload, but not a real deload. So, you know, I needed the break because, you know, for the nervous system, sometimes you just need a break from heavy lifting and the type of programs that we do as a powerlifters. It gets real, real intense. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. And I think it's something that you, lifters sometimes have to be, especially elite competitive lifters like yourself, you have to be forced to do that because like you treat it like a profession. You don't want to take time off because you're not, you don't feel like you're making that forward progress. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, I try not to take too much time off. Um, typically, um, for me, I would take at least four days of rest after a competition Due to the fact that I didn't have the opportunity to compete, I didn't take much time off. I just lowered my weights. I did a deload. And now I'm working back into getting, you know, heavier, hitting heavier weights again. Hopefully in New York City, the gyms will open soon where I can actually go to my local gym and train with my under my coach, you know, eyes. But we've been doing pretty fine using Zoom and he'll send me a program um, through Coach Now app. And I just follow it and we communicate through, you know, different means like Facebook Messenger and stuff like that. So we make it work. So obviously the world championships didn't happen on the schedule they were they were supposed yeah. to happen on. What were did you have a particular uh, a, a particular goal heading into that? Like did you have your attempts planned out that you thought you were gonna that you thought yeah. you were gonna be hitting in that competition? Yeah, actually, um, well, we typically play the field. Um okay. so my coach would he typically controls all of that as far as like what attempts we're going to take. But the coach is the brain. That's uh, yeah, you just, you're just there to lift. Yeah, he doesn't like um, his lifters to do too much thinking. So especially, you know, you got a lot of anxiety going as already. He don't want you thinking about what's my attempts. But um, typically I was going to try to hit at least 305 pounds and hopefully, you know, qualify for like the Paralympic Games. That was my t- um, goal. So, you know, everything is postponed till next year. But hopefully, you know, I'm beginning stronger. And while the other athletes around the world is sitting at home. <laughs> that's my, that's what I'm looking forward to. <laughs> so this, that would be, would that be your, that's your first Paralympic games you're trying to qualify yeah, for? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I'm trying to work towards my first Paralympic game. And for p- folks who might not be super familiar with your career, because I, I want to get into, I want to get into some, some other things. You're, you're a, you're a power lifter, but you're actually known for a lot of other things. And, yeah, and you're, yeah, uh, yeah. So I do want to get to that in, in a bit, but how, how long have you been in, in para powerlifting? It's crazy because I was in par- this will be going on my third year actually. Um, you're you're you're, I'm you're so young in the sport. Yeah, I'm very new. Um and it's funny because you know how they say if you're good, somebody will come out and find you. So I was just in a gym, my local gym one day and some guy LA Fitness. It was an LA Fitness um club and some guy comes up to me and is like, "Yo, you should play like wheelchair football. Do you play any like adaptive sports?" And I'm like, "No, I never even heard of wheelchair football." So he's like, "Come out." So when I came out, I met the president of the Wheelchair Sports Federation, John Hammer, and he works with the Wounded Warriors also. And he's like, I could tell you could be a Paralympic athlete one day. Why are you not playing any sports, dude? I'm like, I don't know. And then he's like, I'm going to put you on the best wheelchair track team in the country. And it's, a, it's called the New Jersey Navigators. It's a Paralympic sports club. That, that is and, such a good name, by the way. The New, Jersey Na- the New Jersey Navs, New Jersey Navigators is such a good team name. So the first thing the coach asked me was, did you play on any other teams before? Because he's known for having the best athletes on his teams. So I'm like, nah, this is my first time. So they taught me how to, um, I started out wheelchair track racing. Um, yeah, this was about like three years ago. And then after wheelchair track racing, he, he was like, yo, you want to do field sports? So he taught me how to do shot put, javelin, discus. I did that with them. 
And then there was a tri-state competition and it's actually going to hold a powerlifting meet. So with no training at all, I weighed 120 pounds. I was able to lift 250 pounds. Then the next day, the Team USA performance manager called me. It was like, you need to buy for a spot on Team USA. So they flew me out to Colorado Springs. I stayed at the Olympic training facility for like a week. This is like overnight now. <laughs> so yeah, it was like two months span. Like it was that meet probably was in May. Then I flew out there in September. I remember it was in September. And um, in September, when I flew out there, I was able to lift 275 pounds. We're probably over like a month and a half worth of training. So it went quick. And then I competed and then I qualified to go to Kazakhstan for world championships. But due to some unforeseen circumstances, this was back in 2019, um, I was unable to make that trip. So that was like, that's my story. <laughs> that is, that is... <laughs> I mean, there's no such thing as overnight success in strength sports. It takes time to build strength. It takes time to build competency in the lifts. That's about as close as you get as far as a timeline. I mean, did you get a negative reaction from anyone who was just kind of like, this like young up-and-comer is just shooting to the top and, had, and he doesn't he doesn't have the years of arduous training under his belt? I had a lot of haters come. That's funny you said that. I did um, gather a lot of haters because like – you just felt the jealousy, like, because I know athletes that was training for, like, all their life. They was competitively competing in, like, wheelchair track racing. You know, they had the best of training, the best of equipment and things of that nature. And then for me to just come and rise and make Team USA and power powerlifting after three months of actually playing, like, adaptive sports, people was like, that's crazy. Like, how, does, how did he do that? But if you back, if I backtrack a little bit, before I got injured, I got injured at 17 years old and um, I played football all my life. So I played football and my father, like I was saying with the weight set, I had a weight set in the basement and me and my friends used to go to the basement every day and just lift weights until we couldn't lift anymore. <laughs> okay. So, so you, it wasn't like you were, I mean, they discovered you in a, you got discovered in a gym. So it wasn't yeah. like you had never touched a weight before. No, 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 no. That makes, that makes me feel slightly better about myself. <laughs> Yeah, when I was 16, I was able to lift 315 pounds and I was a running back. So I was pretty strong at 16 years old. But after I got injured, I just stopped lifting. Like, it was no, like, I just thought about, like, I put all my effort into playing football and for my career to be cut short. I felt like, you know what? I don't want to play any sports. Like, it just wasn't a thrill or a desire of mine until that person said, you could be a Paralympic athlete. I'm like, that, that it woke me up. Like I'm going to be competing at the highest level. <laughs> so why, why para powerlifting over any of the other Paralympic sports that you, I mean, you were, you were trying out a lot. Is it yeah. because that, is it because you, you were kind of coming in at the highest level or was there something about para powerlifting that just like really grabbed you immediately? You know what it was? Uh, that's another good question. And I tell people all the time, I didn't like doing wheelchair track racing that much, like 1,500 meters. It was just too much for me. Like, <laughs> if power powerlift, I do one lift and it's, what, six seconds the most? So it's like I could do something at six seconds and I feel great after, or I could do something 1,500 meters and I'm, like, exhausted for the next three days. That is the most <laughs> That is the most powerlifting thing I have ever heard in the <laughs> world. Like, like oh, I... I just don't want to be tired. You know, I don't want to be out of, I don't want to be out of breath. I'd rather just like, I could just chill between sets and take a little bit of rest. Yeah. Six seconds. Is, I think that's the average time of a lift between decent and ascending back up. So you're like, I could go around, a, I could go around a track and be really exhausted or 
or I could just do like one lift and then chill for a little bit and wait for the next competitor. Oh my God. There's something about power lifters, right? It doesn't matter what country you come from. It doesn't matter how you got into power lifting. There's something about them that's just like, yeah, you know, I definitely prefer this. Yeah. This short time domain. Yeah, exactly. It's way better. Um, especially me being a lighter weight class. I have, I get a nice physique as well. So it, it all works out in my favor and I'm not exhausted. So I'm cool with it. <laughs> where do you think, you know, where do you think your, your ceiling might be in, in the sport? I mean, obviously you've made, you've made progress since you started yeah. the sport, but you came in putting up 250 pounds in the bench yeah. press and then 275 pounds a few months later. Yeah. And you're, you're aiming for around in your weight, body weight class about, about let's call it three Oh, call it three Oh five, three Oh five, three ten. That's 310. my goal by the end of the year. Where it, Remind me. Cause I'm not, I'm not as familiar with the record books as I should be. Where is the American record in your body weight category? And where's the world record in your body weight category? Well, the world record in my body weight category is actually 450 pounds. And then there's a big drop after that. Then it's like 400 pounds around there. But the world record is this guy, Sharif Ottoman from Egypt. I I don't know how he lifts 400. Oh, Sharif. I actually, I've talked to him before. Yeah, Yeah, he's he's super strong. I didn't realize you all were in the same. I, yeah, I guess you all were in the same bodyweight category because you were talking about pounds. He talks about kilos. Kilos, and yeah. I, and I have to do. I should. Know, I should do better. I'm a strength sports journalist. I should be able to do the mental conversion better, right? It's embarrassing. Two point two. Just times it by point two. <laughs> yeah, and Sharif. So he got the world record. Um, he's super strong. However, um, in America, I think the world record is some. The American record is somewhere around like 320 pounds, which I'm gonna grab that in no time. Well, Sharif has been in the game for a long time. Yeah, over over twelve years, and and he's the first to say. I was I actually did talk to him kind of at the beginning of quarantine. We did a video together, um, and uh, you know he he talked about like you have a longer career in powerlifting than you do in a lot of in some other strength sports because it's it's more of a more of a grind. As you get older, you kind of kind of you slow down. You lose maybe a little bit of your quote unquote fast twitch potential, but you're movements in powerlifting, you can continue building strength for a much longer time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I know people that still build their strength and they competing in their 50s because I also compete amongst able bodies also in the bench press also. Um, but yeah, I know I competed against competitors that was in their 50s before in powerlifting. There's a, in, in uh, able body powerlifting, David Ricks is one of my, one of my favorite to watch. And I think he set, his most recent world record he set when he was 57 or 58 years old in the squat. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, that makes me feel bad about myself. I wake up and I'm I'm 30 and I'll feel creaky some mornings. And I'm like, I have no excuse because this guy is out there with with tree trunk quads, you know, setting world <laughs> records in his late 50s. Like, I got to get on something, right? It's never too late. I got to yeah. get on my training. I got to get on my nutrition. It's never too late in the sport of powerlifting to really make an impact, I, I think. That's what my coach always was telling me, even though I came in like a little later because now I'm 31. And he's like, you're young in the sport still. I'm like, for real? In basketball, I'll be retiring soon. <laughs> so, but nah, it's definitely true, you know, with the proper training, um, proper diet and proper sleep, you know, you can still gain strength all the way to your late 50s if you do everything right. Is this a body weight category you see yourself staying in long term or would you consider going up a weight class? I might go down a weight class. Oh, actually, wow. Actually, my best lift was in 54 kgs, which is 120 pounds. And I lifted 290 pounds in that weight class. And competition. Mm-hmm. So I actually lifted more in the lighter weight class than 59. 
So that's a more intense cut. You're gonna have to. You're gonna be pretty leaned out by that point. I yeah, think. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've done it before, so it's not like something I can't do. I went from like 132 to 120 a few times. Um, with and you know what the thing with me is, I like eating junk food sometimes. <laughs> so if I just cut out the junk. I live in New York City. There's a pizza shop on every block, a Chinese restaurant everywhere. So sometimes I just get ahead of myself. But these last few weeks been really good. So I've been you know very focused eating my vegetables, my fruits, the things that I'm supposed to be eating, not the donuts and stuff like that. I always joke, this is completely anecdotal, but I'm just pulling this out of nowhere, right? I always joke that like, there's some bodybuilders in New York City, like Kai Green lives lives in the New York area, one of the greatest of all to ever do it, obviously. There are definitely great bodybuilders in New York City. But in my mind, so many bodybuilders live out West. They live in Arizona, they live in Las Vegas, they have houses with big kitchens and they're doing their meal prep. It's tough to do meal prep in New York City. Your kitchens are small. And also it's like, why am I doing meal prep where I have this like world-class pizza joint down the block? And there's another one two blocks down. Yeah. The temptation is there. And then like my girlfriend sometimes, like she want to go on a date and be like, you're not going to, you really going to eat salad on this? (laughs) And so things like that. It's a lot of pressures out here for us in New York City. But um, yeah, but I've been meal prepping. Everything's been working well. I already know I'm going to get this weight off no time because honestly before i started powerlifting i probably weighed like 117 for like five years straight like type of thing so gotcha so this is definitely okay this is definitely a a bulk a bulk up a bulk up sport for you yeah 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 it's a little above right now but i'm gonna get back i'm definitely gonna be focused that's my goal (laughs) what are some of the i just want to change direction a little bit and talk about the sport the sport of para powerlifting itself it's obviously an interesting time we're recording this in 2020 we're recording this what should have been like two months out from the pair from the Paralympic Games, right? Yeah, yeah. But obviously, it was moved to 2021 as as uh, for the Olympic Games. What do you think? What impact do you think the move the the change the year change in the games is going to is going to have on the competition field? Like you you mentioned that you're going to come out of the stronger. You've been training. You've had access to equipment. Mm-hmm. Do you think that athletes are? Have you talked to other athletes who have? lost the strength? Do you think this is going to kind of like throw a wrench in people's training? Or do you think the field is going to be just as competitive next year? Well, the field should be just as competitive. Um, new athletes always emerge um, and they always come out being more successful. Some, some because in some parts of the world, they still have access to their gym. Mm-hmm. I know like I got teammates who unfortunately due to the fact, you know, we live in America, we're under quarantine. Um, they haven't been in the gym, haven't touched the barbell in probably like a month, a month and a half. So for them, they had they have a longer journey because they have to start over. However, um, and I'm sure that's the same throughout other places in the world. So I guess like, you know, it depends on who takes advantage of what at the end of the day. Like me, I took advantage of this time where I'm able to train in my house. I have, you know, the necessary equipment that I needed. Now I'm actually now focused on my nutrition. My recovery been great. Um Thank God I haven't had any injuries or anything of that nature, um, which is always important. However, um, I think the field would just be just as competitive. Um, I don't see, like, if, when you're a world-class athlete, you find a way to make it happen mm. at the end of the day. So I think it's going to be just as competitive. I just think it might be a few other athletes that emerge, mm. you know, out of this quarantine process. Yeah, they have a little more time to, people who might be a little newer in the sport have a little more time to build that strength because it's just an extra year. They got an extra year of training under their belt. Oh, extra year. Yep, exactly. 
So let's talk a little bit about the, you live a very multifaceted life, right? And when I was first introduced, when I was first introduced to you, it was like, okay, here's Garrison, up and coming American para power lifter. And also, and there were a lot of things that came after the end also. And something that I think you might even be better known for in the New York area might be uh, as a speaker as a presenter, as someone who, yeah. who, who, who talks to crowds. Talk about how you got into that. All right. It's funny. Now, everybody's going to laugh, but I used to work for the Internal Revenue Service for six years. Oh, you! everyone must have loved, all your friends must have loved you for that. Yeah, they asked me a million questions. I always used to be like, I'm not at work right now. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, when I worked there, I had an epiphany one day. I was like, I'm way too cool to be behind a desk for the rest of my life. I'm looking at my coworkers and they're all in their late fifties, early sixties. I'm like, I cannot be here. I cannot be here for the next 30 years and I will not be here. So when I said that, I ran into this, a friend of mine's that owned this company called Milf that it's a streetwear brand. And he's like, bro, you could be a model. So I'm like a model. Oh, well, I'll be a model. So I started modeling for his clothing line and like we'll post pictures and it would go viral. So then other people wanted me to model for them. And, you know, after that, I met this lady out of nowhere. And she's like, let's have a meeting in Starbucks. And I'm like, all right, the random lady, Connie Chi, I'll never forget her. And when I met her, she said, you should start. A, do you like your job? And I'm like, no, I was just thinking about how like terrible my job was and how I need to leave. So she's like, you should start an organization. So I started a not-for-profit organization called the Garrison Red Project to help individuals with disabilities acquire the necessary um, equipment in order for them to be fully independent to achieve success. Um, Then from there, she's like, you ever heard of TED Talks? So I'm like, TED Talks? I don't know what a TED Talk is. She's like, go research it. So I did my research. um, And when I researched it, I was like, you know what? This is very, very, it could be very impactful if I was able to speak on a stage of this magnitude. And this was right around the time I started um, competing with the New Jersey Navigators in wheelchair um, racing. So it's been a very, it's been a very busy, let's call it past three very, years for you. Very busy. So I'm like, all right, I'll, I, I applied for a TED Talk and they selected me. Two months later, I get an email. You have been selected to speak at TEDx Deer Park or whatever. And I'm like, all right. Now I'm like, I'm going to do a talk on this magnitude. And I never spoke in front of people before, like, <laughs> maybe a few people at the gym, but other than that, I never really spoke to like hundreds of people or, or more. So I'm like, all right. I was like, I'm not going to be, you know, I don't know what it is about. So I'm just going to go in it with a clear mind and I'm going to do this. So I titled my TED talk, life is like lemonade, how life could throw you lemons. And then you got to make lemonade out of it. And one of the things I did was I manifested everything I wanted to do. I'm like, I'm going to be a Paralympic gold medalist one day. I'm going to be mayor of New York City one day. I'm going to speak around the world and win a Nobel Peace Prize. And I'm going to help so many individuals. And that's how I got my start in speaking. <laughs> I got to stop you there because if one of your dreams is to become mayor of New York City, as a New York resident, highly reconsider Garrison. That is not a way to popularity in people's hearts. People always hate the mayor. Yeah, nah, I think if they have a mayor that's from where they're from and been where they've been, They'll love me because of the fact that I'm so New York City. I've been living in Brooklyn all my life. There's nothing you could tell me about New York City that I won't know about it. So it's like, I'll be the perfect people person. That's who I am, a people person. You just got to make sure you don't eat your pizza with a knife and fork. Seriously, how could you do that? The oil got to come out. <laughs> not, 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 the, uh, not to get too political, but I just like, of all the things in New York that have been controversial since I've lived here for about 10 years... When it came out that our current mayor ate his pizza like that, I never, like, 
all my friends who grew up in New York were just like, I'm sick of this. I got to leave the city. We can't have this. Terrible because like, I'm so used to getting dollar pizza like at three in the morning after the club, things like that. We're just eating it with our dirty hands and stuff like, like not caring. And that's New York for me. Like that's New York. Go to Two Bros Pizza and just grab a slice and eat it. It's it's an institution at this point. The thing about the thing about New York is like I, when people visit and I have family visit, they're like, oh, what's your favorite pizza place? I'm like, look, the the, the beautiful thing about New York, sure, there is like the pizza places that are super high rated and like you know everyone they're on the the Food Network, but the beauty of New York is that the dollar slice pizza is better. It's better than the pizza you'll get in most other cities. Seriously. And um, the thing with the dollar pizza, like I had pizza from Artichoke. I think Artichoke pizza. and Which is good. It's good. It's got its, its own thing. It's good. It's good, but I don't, I'll rather the dollar slice, which tastes just as good in my opinion <laughs> than Artichoke. And it's literally, it's like, it's a dollar. You're paying the minimum price for a, for a food product. Exactly. Right? And like, it, and it's it's good. It's is it the best pizza you'll ever have? You can probably go find better pizza. But the intersection of value and like what change in your and yeah, you get like a good meal with some change in your pocket. Like, come on. I think two twenty five give you two slices and a soda, or two seventy five give you two slices and a soda. There's and it's twenty four hours in a lot of cases, so it's like can't it go. is it is the biggest triumph of Amer- of New York City ingenuity to make that to make that work it's my opinion yeah i agree with you also <laughs> so so after that first tedx talk yeah. um did your did, did what you tend to speak about evolve after that yeah because um after that people started you know requesting me to speak on different topics mm-hmm. that you know i mentioned in a tedx talk but they felt that i was knowledgeable about mm-hmm. um and what i didn't realize is that like it wasn't so much individuals with disabilities that wanted to hear me speak. It was a lot of able-bodied individuals that wanted to hear me speak due to the fact that they wanted to become more comfortable with speaking to other individuals mm. with disabilities. And that's one of the things that um really I really took a lot of pride in to educate others because a lot of times people feel it's unethical to ask certain questions mm. about disability. And that's, you know, and I know it can be unethical. It could be you could be a little afraid or hesitant because you don't know how someone will react based on the question that they ask. So, you know, I'm there to tell them, like, you know, individuals with disabilities have the ability to adapt um, because we have to find other ways. Because at the end of the day, the wheelchair for me isn't a restriction. It's the the restrictions is what society places on the wheelchair. So mm-hmm. building facilities with stairs and no elevator, you know, those are restrictions that it's unfortunate that we have to adapt to and find other ways around. So with that, and then I started speaking to, you know, I'll speak to children about overcoming adversity. A lot of times um, kids feel like something goes wrong and they take a step backwards. They get in a funk, get in a depression. And at the end of the day, sometimes when you take a step back, you could take three steps forward. Mm -hmm. So you sometimes need that step back. You need adversity to build resiliency and once you build that resiliency, you know, life is yours. <laughs> Garrison, where is the best place for people or the best places for people to keep up to date with the work you're doing, the work your foundation's doing? And and also, 
just so happens to be, you know, your your elite powerlifting training. <laughs> All right, yeah. So you can find me anywhere. Um, I'm on social media under all my accounts. My name is Garrison Red. I try to post something on Instagram at least once a day. I also try to do YouTube at least once a week. You know, I try to do how-to videos just think just to educate others on, you know, living with a disability on things that we go through. Also like showing just stuff, random stuff like how to drive and how to um get a trice. I got a trike, so I do a lot of hand cycling. So I like to showcase those things. Also, um, yeah, you can find me anywhere. You can search for me on Google under Garrison Red. There's tons of links that will come up. Also visit my organization. It's the GarrisonRedProject.org. Um, there you'll learn about the work that I'm doing. We're always looking for volunteers and things of that nature to come out when we have community events. And I try to do inclusive adaptive sporting events as well. So that way, like if it's wheelchair basketball, I have able-bodied individuals playing amongst disabled individuals as well. So they could learn how to play basketball the way we play basketball, things of that nature. Very cool. Garrison, thank you so much for your time. It's it's a pleasure chatting with you. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited to see where uh, where your work in, in sports and athletics and beyond goes over the next few years. Really appreciate yeah. it. Going to the sky. 